have you ever heard of the Fukushima disaster? Oh, vaguely. This is definitely not my area of expertise. Uh, I wouldn't know about that. Okay. It's, it's something I'm not aware of. I think one of the things about it is that people don't know enough and that the Japanese government is very good at keeping things secret from its own people and the rest of the world actually. So, you know, we, we don't always know what's going on and you hear about people being ill. I know that it's kind of carrying over and they say it's supposed to be below harmful levels by the time it reaches our coast, but how do you know for sure? It's all about, you know, doing the research and just looking into these things and asking the questions because we're not getting it from the mainstream media. A lot of the uh, kind of mainstream scientists are not doing their job and getting out in there and doing this. So it's up to the citizen journalists. It's up to us, the people, if we want to take care and protect this beautiful British Columbia, we have to do the investigating and that's exactly what we're going to do. We are here on the west coast in beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia and joining me on the line right now as I am reporting to you from the sunny climbs of BC, we have our good friend James Corbett of thecorbettreport.com joining us live via Skype out of Japan. So James, uh, thank you very much for speaking with us today. Well, thank you for having me on. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, Dan. You know, I'm glad to have you on today because we're covering an incredibly important topic. And you being a journalist who is in Japan, I think, have a unique perspective on the issue, and that is Fukushima. So if you can start us off by taking us back to the beginning. What has been going on in the last three years, and where does this begin? Uh, take us back to the beginning of the story of Fukushima in 2011. Well, the, uh, the story, of course, begins with the earthquake on March 11th that caused the tsunami that ended up in the loss of tens of thousands of lives and uh, an untold amount of destruction that, that happened in the northeast section of Japan. And, of course, part of that destruction was the, uh, the overrunning of the Fukushima nuclear power plant there in Fukushima Prefecture on the edge of the ocean um, as part of the, the, the wave of destruction that rolled across the shores there. And unfortunately, as we all know, this led to the, the triple meltdown at Fukushima, which has uh, six reactors, two of which were not uh, functioning at the time, um, uh, three of which completely melted down in the wake of the tsunami. So that was really the, the disaster itself happening there in March 11th and the, the days following. However, uh, a subsequent Japanese uh, parliamentary inquiry uh, ultimately concluded that the disaster was in fact man-made insofar as it was completely preventable uh, a number of safety mechanisms and other such things that should have been in place, should have been functioning, should have been taken into account before the disaster ever hit um, were not basically in place. And this was a result of complete incompetence and uh, cost-cutting and, and other such things by TEPCO, uh, the Tokyo Electric Power Company that owns and operates the Fukushima plant as well as other nuclear plant plants and other power uh, uh, grid systems as well here in Japan. So 
It was a disaster many, many years in the making. And in fact, we have only found out in recent months that, uh, for example, the some of the spent fuel assembly, uh, the, the fuel assemblies in the spent fuel pool in Reactor 4 were damaged um, decades before this ever took place. In fact, even going back as far as the 1970s, TEPCO has only now just admitted that fact. So it is a, a, a situation that we continue to learn more about. But suffice it to say that it was really in that uh, that period in the first week or so. Uh, uh, after the actual earthquake and tsunami that we started to find out about the, the, um, the, what was happening at the plant. And it was not until a few months later that they finally admitted that there had been a, a complete meltdown of reactors 1, 2, and 3. Unbelievable. I mean, is, is that because of their ramping up of the propaganda to try to, um, you know, uh, counter all this uh, information that's going on? I know they just passed new bills in Japan that would restrict journalists from being able to talk about these things. Is the mainstream media talking about it out there in Japan or is it up to um, the independent media to get this issue out there to people? There obviously has been and continues to be uh, mainstream media coverage of, of Fukushima here in Japan. Although, even if we were to assume that the mainstream media coverage w was being completely open and honest about the situation at Fukushima, they can only be as open and honest as the information that they're, they're receiving allows them to be. And we know, for example, it has been proven from documents that have come out since, um, since the disaster happened that in the immediate wake of the disaster, when uh, the, the reactor was still leaking um, radioactive emissions out into the open atmosphere, um, during that time, there was a there is a Japanese system in in place called the Speedy system, the S P E E D I system, that is specifically designed to monitor uh, in the event of nuclear disasters like this one to monitor the the, the fallout and which way the uh, it, it's going to and, and make predictions about which way the fallout is going to fall. And uh, that data was specifically being withheld from the, the mainstream media here by the Japanese government in those weeks after uh, Fukushima, uh, presumably because they did show that some of the fallout was going directly over Tokyo and uh, they didn't want to panic the public. So we, we know that um, in certain cases, the, the, the Japanese government has deliberately withheld some of the information about this disaster. And we can only speculate about what other information has been or continues to be uh, withheld from the public about the true extent of what's going on there. So there is mainstream media coverage here. Some of it has been quite insightful and quite uh, quite um, uh, getting to the point and, and, and really trying to uncover some of it, uh, what's happening there. Others have, have basically strayed into the realm of nuclear apology and, and just trying to sweep it all under the rug. So there is a, a kind of mix of of reactions here in the in the in the mainstream media but of course i think as you and your listeners probably know it's the alternative media that's going to be trying to dig up the the real dirt and uh, that's where we've gotten a lot of this information out to the public about the uh, st true scale of the cover-up that went on here what are your thoughts about the potential of uh, radiation coming on over here to the west coast heard of that i have um haven't had many thoughts on it have had a few um it, when it happened right away it seemed more prevalent or the thoughts were more prevalent i don't know it kind of died down really quickly and i think the same thing sort of happened with haiti and which not where you hear about it for a short spurt of time and then it completely dies out but the issues are still there but we just lose track of it, unfortunately, and our lives continue to go on. 
you don't get news in broadcast in, in uh, Vancouver. You don't get world news. People here are very insular and they don't, they only know what's going on around about them, not, uh, not worldwide. Yeah, I don't think you can always blame mainstream media for, you know, what it's doing and what it's not doing, but, um, um, you know, the Japanese has quite a vibrant um, media, but, you know, if the government's hiding things, and the Japanese government is very good at doing that, um, hiding things from its own people, and their own people are used to that, so maybe not asking enough questions. I know that it's kind of carrying over and you see the time-lapse images of the currents carrying it and they say it's supposed to be below harmful levels by the time it reaches our coast, but how do you know for sure? We are now in downtown Vancouver at Stanley Park, currently just about three or four hundred feet from the coastline by the water here, and I've got a Geiger counter as you can see in my hand here. We are right now measuring the uh, natural radiation levels up here closer to the, uh, the grasslands, and I'm currently getting a reading of around 20 counts per minute. Uh, roughly around 18 to 20 is where it's hovering in, which is the kind of natural radiation levels for this area. Now what we're going to do is we're going to take the Geiger counter down closer to the water and continue to uh, measure the radiation levels and see if they do in fact rise as we get closer to the seashore. We're about 100 feet closer to the shoreline now. You can see beautiful downtown Vancouver uh, in the skyline behind me. And as you can see, the, radi uh, the, the levels are already slightly different from um, what we've seen before, now measuring in at around 26, fairly close uh, to what we've seen uh, already uh, back, back there. But we're gonna continue trekking our way uh, down towards water and see if these uh, do in fact continue to rise. So we'll continue to uh, check it out. Again, it's all about you know, doing the research and just looking into these things and asking the questions because we're not getting it from the mainstream media. A lot of the uh, kind of mainstream scientists are not doing their job and getting out in there and doing this. So it's up to the citizen journalists, it's up to us, the people, if we want to take care and protect this beautiful British Columbia, we have to do the investigating and that's exactly what we're going to do. So let's continue our uh, walk down here to uh, the beach. We're here right beside the water and uh, we're going to take a couple of samples here and see what kind of readings we get. I'll hold it down a little closer to the ground. Now sometimes uh, the readings coming cl uh, from the rocks um, could be picking up radiation levels that have been from uh, inside the rock that's not necessarily coming from Fukushima. This we don't know yet, um, but what we do know, as you can see on the numbers here, that they are indeed going up. Uh, it is now at 42 counts uh, per minute, which is quite significantly higher than what we've seen, um, you know, just about 100 feet up the shoreline. Now, whether or not this is radiation coming, natural radiation from the rocks, or if this is radiation from Fukushima is yet to be determined, but the point is we need to be documenting these things, we need to be figuring it out and keeping track all along the way as we continue to document and do the research uh, that needs to be done in order to figure out is radiation making its way over here to the west coast. 
We're here on the West Coast right now uh, covering this issue and we're finding um, similar things with the uh, propaganda we just saw on the front page of the newspaper today. They're saying there's nothing to worry about people. Uh, don't worry especially about the seafood that you're eating. Uh, some restaurants are seeing um, drops in their in their business and they're wondering if it's because people are learning about the potential of radiation coming over here. Now seeing that we're on the West Coast, um, what can you tell us about the potential of actual radiation from Fukushima making its way to the coastlines here in British Columbia. Is that possible? It's not only possible, it's already been detected, for example, in bluefin tuna and certain other species of, uh, of fish. There's been uh, uh, radioactive elements that have been determined to have come from Fukushima that have already found their way into, into certain fish um, at levels that are supposedly uh, not harmful to human uh, health. But it's also important to note, of course, that there is no safe level of radioactive uh, radiation. Uh, there's no safe dose. Um, uh, any amount of radiation can cause, uh, can increase the, the, the likelihood of cancer developing. So that's an important part of all of this to note. However, it's also important to keep in perspective um, the, the actual numbers that we're talking about here in terms of radioactive release. And it uh, is still in, in the theoretical stage at this point because not enough testing has been done. But there have been some tentative papers that have come out um, recently. For example, just in the last couple of weeks, there's been a, a paper published in the Journal of Oceanography um, by a researcher from the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institute that estimates that somewhere between 4 and 90 petabecquerels of radioactive uh, cesium have been released into the Pacific Ocean as a result of the Fukushima uh, disaster. And, uh, and somewhere between 15 and 30 uh, pet petabecquerels is the most likely uh, fi figure there. And to put that into perspective, that's actually less radioactive cesium than was released into the North Pacific during the period of open at atmospheric testing of nuclear weapons back in the 1950s and 60s. In fact, the, uh, the, natural, um, uh, the natural radioactivity of the ocean itself is uh, somewhere in the, in the neighborhood of uh, two be becquerels per cubic meter. And, uh, and on top of that, there has been a trace that's still detectable to this day um, that was left by that o open atmospheric testing back in the 1950s and 60s. Fukushima is going to add to that, but not in, uh, not, it, it seems at this point from our best estimates that not in a way that would even exceed what was happening back in that 1950s, 60s uh, open atmospheric testing uh, phase. So there has been um, some estimates that have been made, but th probably the most important part to note is that there is no uh, agency of the U.S. government or the Canadian government, as far as I know, but certainly no, uh, no agency of the U.S. government that is currently monitoring uh, the, the, the radioactivity of the ocean on the West Coast. Are there things that um, the individuals can do as well um, to, to learn about this? I mean, we've been seeing videos online of people getting Geiger counters and, and getting uh, their own uh, readings. Um, is that uh, something that you would encourage? Is there other things that people can do to um, try to learn more about what's going on and try to dig deep into this issue? Uh, of course, I wouldn't discourage anyone from, from taking a Geiger counter and trying to find out what they can, but I would... A caution that, of course, there's a lot of things that can be learnt from Geiger counters if you know what you're doing and how to use them and what they indicate and what uh, what kind of information we can extrapolate from that. So just getting a, a, a spot reading of counts per minute, for example, doesn't 
contain enough information in and of itself to tell us, for example, anything about the source of the radiation, let alone whether or not that radiation is coming at a constant level or if that was just a momentary spike and, and that sort of thing. There are standards for, for testing and how this should be done. So um, pr uh, preferably, I, I think people should be, um, if, they, if they are going out there with the Geiger counter, they should know what they're doing and how to use it and what information they can extrapolate from that. But having said that, um, for people who, who are interested in this and, and either aren't there on the West Coast or, or don't have the, the resources to do, that, to do this, uh, one way of keeping track of this is something like uh, the SafeCast network, which is, a again, a crowd crowdsourced uh, project that was started, I believe, started in the wake of the, the Fukushima disaster. Um, it's at safecast.org, and it provides, uh, well, not live, but, but constantly updated maps of Geiger counter readings from a number of different sources. Basically, people, uh, individuals, upload their own readings into this SafeCast map, and it creates a, 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 a radioactive uh, terrain map so you can see how radioactive various spots are. Um, it, the, the SafeCast network covers Japan most, most uh, that's the most concentrated area of where the, they're getting their information, but it also includes readings from the United States and I believe from Canada as well. So people can check safecast.org for their maps to, to find out um, at least some information about the readings that aren't coming from official government sources if people are concerned about the, the official government information they're getting. And James, to your knowledge um, in your research into this over the last few years, have you found any correlation or any connection between any kind of a rise in cancer rates and uh, radiation coming from Fukushima? Has that connection been made? Uh, there have been researchers that have claimed that connection, but I think that the methodology that has been used in some of the more uh, well-published of those studies is highly dubious. And uh, and I think that uh, there, there's no way that we could detect the, the trace of this radiation in terms of cancer rates yet. One would not expect any sort of rise in cancer rates for three to five years after the accident. So we wouldn't really expect the first uh, increase in, in cancer incidence as a result of this to, to really hit until until, um, presumably in the next couple of years and I think that's at the point at which we would start to see this this happening and I think people are right to be wary of the official uh, government statistics on this and the fact that there is not really any thoroughgoing testing programs for um, for this to try to determine if there is going to be a an increase in cancer. There are certain programs that are being run in Fukushima for example to detect um, uh, thyroid uh, cancer and that sort of thing but um, not a lot of thoroughgoing testing and certainly not even nationwide here in Japan. Um, so, so there is, I, I think, a lot of reason to be skeptical of that. But I think we also have to reserve our skepticism for the other side of the argument um, in, in terms of people who, for example, claim that 14,000 deaths um, could have uh, could be attributed directly to the the immediate few months after Fukushima, which I think is again a highly uh, dubious study with a lot of uh, methodological problems, and I think that that goes to to really the heart of the problem of this whole issue is that on the one side we are expected to believe basically three things um, about TEPCO: one that they are being transparent and open and honest about the situation at at the uh, Fukushima plant; two that they are 
capable and competent and, uh, in being able to identify and assess the problems at the plant, and three, that they are actually able to remedy the problems at the plant. And I think there are problems with all three of those assumptions that we've demonstrated and that we could go into at great length. But on the other side of the argument, there are there's uh, the, the kind of the, the alternative media fear-mongering take on all of this, which is simply to, at all times and with 100% um, uh, certainty, stress every single possible problem as as the worst case scenario and anything that's contradictory to that narrative um, is is generally dismissed so as an example of that for example people have talked recently about starfish melting disease that's taking place off the west coast of uh, of canada and the united states right now um and that that received a lot of um publicity in the alternative media as as being obviously linked to the fukushima radiation despite the fact that this uh, melting disease has been identified um, as early as 2008, so uh, three years before Fukushima ever took place. So I think people are starting to jump to un unwarranted conclusions, and I think that that actually undermines uh, the, the genuine criticism that we can label and level at, at TEPCO and the Japanese government for what's going on at the site. I think we shouldn't be um, trying to, to muddy the waters by going too far with our assessments, and when when genuine progress is made at the site, I think we should um, make note of that and and be be honest in our reporting about that as well. Uh, for example, the uh, the removal of the spent fuel from the spent fuel pool in Reactor Four has been covered ad nauseum in the alternative media as the potential end of all humanity. But um, the fact that progress is actually being made in the removal of that fuel has not been reported on at, at, from what I've seen in the alternative media at all. Have you come across any um, information as to ways that people can uh, protect themselves? Are, or are we at a point now where it's purely about mitigation? Uh, you know, how can people protect themselves? I am of the opinion that avoiding exposure is absolutely the best way to uh, to try to mitigate the problem. Um, uh, there are obviously a lot of people claiming a lot of different things about ways to to um, uh, to get radiation or, or to mitigate the risks of radiation in your system. Mm -hmm. And I'm not a health professional. I'm not giving health advice to anyone. So I would just ask people to be um, to be interested but skeptical about all claims and to try to verify them for themselves. And on the no note, for example, of the potassium iodide pills uh, that a lot of people are are interested in these days. Um, for example, if they go to fairwinds.org. Arnie Gunderson has uh, talked about uh, what the actual benefits of these pills are and the fact that they are they are very useful in the immediate wake of a uh, reactor meltdown where there is radioactive iodine being released um, and in those first few days that's the crucial period in which um, potassium iodine pills actually help um, because they they basically fill up the the thyroid with with healthy non-radioactive iodine rather than um, being uptake uh, uptaking the the radioactive iodine that would get into the system after that um, that's very important in the few days after a meltdown but after that point um, the the result the effects of it are are in fact even uh, potentially hazardous to your health because um, taking too much of this uh, these uh, potassium iodine pills can have serious side effects. So, so it is important that people understand the various benefits and drawbacks of these different things that are proposed, and to be skeptical of claims of magic claims of things that will magically take radiation out of your body. Again, I think avoiding exposure is the the number one thing that people can do, and the best way to do that, um, from my perspective, for example, here in Japan, the way that myself and my family are uh, trying to avoid 
avoid exposure to to the uh, maximum amount possible is that we have stopped eating seafood unless we can specifically determine where it's coming from and determine it's not coming anywhere from the Pacific coast of Japan. And secondly, we are um, sourcing our food from a, a cooperative uh, here in Japan that uh, that tests all of their their uh, food for radioactive um, uh, for radiation also uh, or uses organic uh, non-gmo ingredients and all of that that uh, that other healthy stuff so so again I think uh, that's that's the way that myself and my family are protecting ourselves at this point um, and there are a lot of claims as I say uh, out there of different substances and different foods and different things that people can do again I, I'm not giving particular advice I just invite people to investigate all of those claims and to uh, and to investigate the uh, the the other sides of those arguments because again I think a lot of wild claims can be floated at times like this and a lot of people are trying to again make money off of people's fear and James, where do we go moving forward? Where do you see the future of nuclear power? And is it time to start thinking about other methods? Uh, the time to start thinking about other methods was about uh, was over half a century ago, unfortunately, when all of this was actually being hardwired into the infrastructure. Uh, the The only reason that the the nuclear power industry exists in the way that it does today is because of the nuclear weapons industry. Um, basically, the uranium reactors, which have become the standard for the nuclear power industry, are are in use specifically and solely because they they are very good at making uh, the the fuel the the plutonium for nuclear weapons. And so the the link between nuclear power and the nuclear armaments industry is there. It's it's the reason that these extremely unsafe uh, uranium plants are in existence. If the government, if anyone was actually serious about uh, finding safe ways of using nuclear power, we would be using uh, liquid uh, uh, thorium, uh, liquid fluoride thorium reactors, which have been tested in limited amounts and in certain ways, but nowhere near the amount of, of research or money has been thrown into that as has been thrown into the uranium uh, reactor. So is there a possibility of, of safe nuclear power? Well, yes, if we started, if we went scrapped completely the way that the nuclear power industry has been developed and went with a completely different technology, yes, it is theoretically possible. Is it likely at this point? Well, not really because of the uh, tens of hundreds of billions of dollars that have been invested and are continuing to be invested in this unsafe technology. And because it is so uh, completely tied into the nuclear armaments industry, there's no way that governments are ever going to uh, to give up their subsidization subsidization of the nuclear power industry unless there is a massive tidal wave uh, sea change in public opinion on this issue and we really need to get people informed about the history of nuclear power why it developed in the way that it did and how we can actually hopefully transition off of it in the future to avoid this type of disaster from ever happening again well, this is precisely why it is incredibly important uh, to continue to do this research and continue to document these things so we can, in fact, get to the bottom of this and uh, never have uh, one of these disasters ever happen again. So, James, any, any final uh, thoughts on you? I mean, you yourself are a Canadian and I'm um, reporting from Vancouver, British Columbia now. Any final thoughts um, in regards to uh, Canadians uh, and, and how the Fukushima might be affecting people? people on the West Coast? 
Well, I would just once again invite everyone to be skeptical. Be skeptical of what I'm saying. Be skeptical of what the government is saying. Be skeptical of what the alternative media is saying. Be skeptical of what the mainstream media is saying. Um, and from that position of skepticism, then you can weigh various claims against other claims. You can go to the source data from which people are making their claims and you can determine whether or not they're being honest with you. And that's the only way to come to any sort of understanding of what's happening and what the real risks are. And it's not an easy process. To, to sort through all that information. Uh, I'm doing my best to try to, to make that information available at FukushimaUpdate.com, where I'm trying to have a mix of mainstream and alternative coverage, coverage that uh, that tends towards the, 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 the alarmist uh, side of the debate, as well as coverage that uh, tends the other way, so that people can sort through that information for themselves and come to their own decisions. But again, I think skepticism is the, par the, the, the bedrock at which we have to, to start from in order to start examining the issue because if we if we come at it with any sort of preconception one way or the other then we're probably only going to find information that uh, that confirms our biases so uh so i hope people will continue to to press the canadian government to to begin and and to continue um monitoring uh not only on the west coast but throughout canada and not only because of fukushima but because of all of the other potential sources of radioactivity that exist in north america right now not only the canadian uh, 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 nuclear sites. Uh, for example, there's uh, nuclear processing facilities in Toronto and other places that people generally don't even know exist. And these are all potential sources of radioactive contamination. So I think people should be aware of radioactivity generally, not just in terms of Fukushima. And hopefully through an, a greater understanding of that, we can also have a greater understanding of the, what how this is affecting our environment and what we can do to mitigate these problems. Very well said. Thank you once again, James, uh, for speaking with us today. We'll have links in the description for people who can learn more from James uh, on his site, Fukushima Update. Uh, once again, thank you very much, James. Uh, take care. Stay safe out there. Thank you, and you, you stay safe as well.